North University Avenue. That's 252 North University Avenue in Provo, in the heart of Provo. Or you can check it out online, Timpanogos Hiking Company, timpanogoshiking.com. Let's read between the lines, shall we? Jay Hill on the Jay, on the uh, coordinator's corner. G-Man, tell me what your thoughts are on this defense thus far. We've seen a defense in spring that was dominant versus BYU's offense. In fall, roll reversal, complete inverse. The offense was slicing and dicing this defense. And I have to wonder if what Jay Hill wants to execute may not be possible or feasible with the personnel that he currently has at BYU. Maybe he doesn't have the depth. Maybe there's been some injuries. Maybe there's been attrition. I just wonder kind of where you're at with this defense right now before we get into the Jay Hill conversation. I've actually been thinking about this a lot today, and my thoughts go back to when Bronco Mendenhall became defensive coordinator at BYU. Warning to fans, they might not like to hear what I'm about to dispel mm-hmm. here. What did Bronco Mendenhall come to BYU with? He came with the three-three-five, hyper-aggressive, mm-hmm. defensive backs making plays. Uh, front three, you're basically just, just taking up room, and, and we're going to – have that aggressive back-end row. You're not going to know where we're coming and all that. Tell me if that doesn't sound familiar to what we've been sold on by Jay Hill. Mm-hmm. Defensive backs, right? Uh, uh, rolling coverages, man, press, aggressive, all that. It sounds beautiful and all that. Can be when you pull it off. Bronco ultimately was not able to pull that off, and Bronco's an outstanding defensive coordinator. And why is he defensive at outstanding defensive coordinator, he overhauled his entire system. And I don't think fans, a lot of fans realize to this day just how big of a move that was for Bronco Mendenhall. He was married to that system unlike any coach, uh, like few other coaches are. It was who he, who he was. But he understood what I'm going to be able to get here at BYU, what's going to be my best position and all that. And those linebackers were fantastic when he made the switch to the 3-4. It was very obvious. And he adjusted his entire scheme. And it was a very, very good scheme. Sure. I, I don't think I heard many complaints about Bronco Mendenhall's scheme during the years he was at BYU. Jay Hill's going to have to adjust. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to adjust. That Micah Harper injury was enormous. I, I'm sorry, it just was. Yeah. He does things in that secondary. I don't know if he's the most irreplaceable player on this defense, but I can make the argument that he is. Sure. And 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 – you absolutely have to supplement for that. But what's interesting to me is is seeing what Jay Hill's going to be able to do moving forward. Granted, I believe that BYU has better defensive backs now than Bronco Mendenhall had back when he adjusted to the 3-4. I don't think it's even close. I think they have better athletes back there. I think uh, through uh, recruiting moves, Gennaro Gilbert being key, BYU's been able to bring in better talent on that back line. Maybe that will suffice. Maybe Jay Hill will be able to continue with what he has in mind. But he's also a smart guy. I think there's going to be necessary adjustments this year. And and moving forward, I, I just wonder if it's going to come about the way it's been sold, just, just man press, aggressive, and all that. I, I think there's going to be 70% have, man, you know, those types of conversations. It's hard for me to buy that BYU can ever run a defense like that, given the personnel BYU t- typically gets. BYU's going to get good linebackers. Mm-hmm. They're going to get good defensive ends. Defensive tackles, man, that one just kills me, Criddle, because I, I just think BYU should be getting better defensive tackles. We've had this discussion before. Yeah. But the cornerbacks, BYU's been able to bring in better cornerbacks over the last four years than I've ever seen in my coverage of BYU, and it's not even re- close. I mean, in past years it was just like, oh, wow, we have Brian Logan. Hopefully he's good. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Now that, that they have options, mm-hmm. even when you lose a guy like Gabe Judy Lally, uh, uh, lost Caleb Hayes, lost D'Lo, mm-hmm. three really good guys. Yeah, they're a little thinner than they were otherwise, but, but they're still pretty good. Yeah. You, you have three front-line cornerbacks that are really, really good. Transfer portal is going to be big in that regard. I think transfer portal is going to be very friendly to BYU as far as uh, uh, just acquiring talent to play that defensive back position, uh, typically positions that, that don't last 40 years within BYU's program. I think that plays to BYU's advantage in that regard. But overall, there's going to be adjustments. There has to be. I, I think Jay Hill comes in with the knowledge, yeah, this is what I want to do, but he's a smart guy. He's going to see if it works, and he'll make necessary adjustments. So 70% man, I, I don't see that being a staple in BYU's defense ever. I just don't. I, I think he's going to trend back to what Bronco Mendenhall did by and large. 
uh, more man than Bronco, just because that's in his DNA and whatnot. But but that's just how I see it, and I think we're going to see it immediately with the loss of Micah Harper. It immediately dictates you're not going to be able to run as much four two five. That's my prediction. You're not going to see a four two five as much as a four three now. I thought four two five was going to be the staple. I now believe it's going to be the four three. Uh, a system with yeah. Eddie Heckard on the field playing slot corner, whatever you want to name him. He's going to be all over the place, but he's going to be primarily a man coverage. I do believe that because that's what he excels at. You don't want to take that away from him. But the linebackers, what's interesting to me, everyone's brought up Chaz Ayu and Am- Am- Ammon Hanneman, and I think it's a really good discussion because those guys are capable. They've done good work. They could rise up and, and, and really make a spot for themselves. And, and I just see... I, what what I thought of today, could thirty front be something we see with four linebackers? I linebacker suddenly looks really strong to me. With the, with Harrison Taggart coming up, isn't that your best eleven? Isaiah Glasker, the best eleven always includes three linebackers on the field. It just does. Bong Pachong, Bywater, Thule, absolutely never leave the field. Those are your guys. Mm-hmm. But then you have guys like Glasker, Chaz Ayu, Harrison Taggart, and Ammon Hanneman. These are good football players. Yeah. And I think the mobility, the, the potential for these guys to rise up, as big as anyone on the team when you're talking about a Harrison Taggart, absolutely. Big-time prospect. Signed by Oregon. All that. Still relatively new to the system. Chaz Ayu, you know he's a playmaker. You know he can get stuff done on the football field. That few can, learning a new position. He, he could... He could uh, Undergo a lot of upper mobility. Ammon Hanneman, same story. Bulking up, experienced, all that. Linebacker's going to be the focal point. Surprise, surprise of BYU. It's a linebacker-based defense. It always is going to be. That's what BYU produces. That's going to be the strength. So I've already migrated to the 4-3. Three linebackers just about all the time. But now I'm starting to think in 30 front with four linebackers, possibly. I don't know. Fans don't like hearing that because because when you present a thirty front, what does that mean? Oh, you're dropping. You're dropping. You're don't rush nece- from the not edge. Necessarily though, I mean, you, you, it's I know, but that's it's fluid. I know, but that's the mentality. The weak side defensive uh, or the outside linebacker is very much involved and can be involved in the pass rush and and in coverage. So you should be versatile. That stand of outside linebacker in that three four, but. You've been sold a bill of goods. You've been sold that they're going to bring, you know, four traditional down linemen, and you hope you get home. I just don't know if Tyler Batty, Atonisa Mahi, Jackson Cravens, and Isaiah Banya are going to get home all the time. Um, can you get home with four? That's what makes Utah, if you're going to compare to your your, your friends up north, that what's, that's what makes them so unique. They can get home with a four-man rush. Some of that is schematic, but a lot of it's, personnel driven they just win they you know someone's going to get doubled yes but you're going to get one-on-ones and who's going to win those one-on-ones you, when you have four guys that can win one-on-ones <laughs> you know what i mean sometimes you're gonna you're gonna get some dubs and uh you're gonna get after quarterbacks and you're gonna be disruptive let's get into the sound though jay hill joined greg rebel in the coordinator's corner greg asked him you have history with many coaches on the 2023 staff. What are some of the branches on the BOU staff for you? Well, I first met Steve Clark. He was probably the one I worked with very first. Uh, Kyle Whittingham brought us. We were very young on staff together. Uh, that's when we were graduate assistants or helping out at Utah. This was a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago. And then hired full-time, and that's when Aaron Roderick and Kalani joined us. And then uh, when I took over at Weber State, Steve Clark and Justin Anna were my two defensive coordinators, and Fessy Sitake was our recruiting coordinator and pass game coordinator. And um, I think that's all the connections. So the band got back together here at BYU. Oh, and I coached Sione Puhab way back when, when when he was playing at the University of Utah. So to get back together is fun. It was a bunch of guys I I really trusted. I wanted to coach with them again at some point, and uh, this made a lot of sense. There you go. There are a lot of a lot of connections here, and I don't think Jay Hill is a traditional like BYU guy. I think this was tough for him to come down to BYU because he's been a Utah guy for so long, and then a Weber State guy, and you've been competing so often with with um, in in state recruiting for for 
talent that is scholarship worthy at Weber, but PWO at BYU, and they they keep on going to BYU. There, there's enmity there, I think, and so I wouldn't th- say he's a traditionalist. This took some convincing. This definitely took a pay raise. This definitely took a pitch from Kalani and, and Co. stating, "Hey, we we feel like you can make a huge impact here at BYU. We need you. You're the associate head coach. You are the defensive coordinator. You have autonomy. You have decision making power. I'm going to let you do what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it. I'm going to let you do your thing." Uh, and um, and 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 we're going to recompense you for that. And guess what? You're actually going to have a little bit of balance now because you don't have to work Sundays. Uh, you, you, there's balance. That's a value add. It, our expectation is you you have some semblance of balance as a college football coach. Anyway, uh, the connections are, are are expansive, and that's why he's here because of those relationships. And I think it took some convincing as head coach at one of the best FCS programs in the country. What appealed to you most about this popular FBS? opportunity at BYU or this particular well my trust in Kalani and A-Rod who were obviously Kalani the head coach and A-Rod is the offense coordinator that my trust in those guys was big Uh, BYU going into the big 12 was a huge step that um, in the direction that I wanted to head Uh, you know just my belief in what BYU can become and what I think we should be here is a big thing just knowing the potential of this program yeah, that, that, that's kind of a general commentary to it. He didn't get into specifics in this particular interview, but I think that's probably on point. And uh, Kalani probably tapped into his heart some way, somehow, and uh, convinced him to come to BYU. Now, Kalani was an offensive player in college, but coached both sides of the ball. You were a defensive player that also coached both sides of the ball, but both of you are primarily known for your defensive work. Where do your philosophies line up that way? Very similar. I think it goes back to what Coach Whittingham taught us, what defense is all about, being gap sound and being aggressive. Uh, I think the way he likes to blitz and the way I do is, you know, similar philosophy. Putting players in position where they can be successful is critical in defensive football. And, you know, you got to have the right pieces. So you got to be able to be good recruiters and get the right guys in the right places. But I think all those things Kalani and I see eye to eye on. Are they perfectly aligned? Are they seeing eye to eye, G Man? Do you buy in that rhetoric? Yeah, I am. I I believe Kalani bringing Jay Hill on staff is is to me almost identical to to what had to happen when when he brought Jeff Grimes onto the offense. And you look what happened with the offense: completely overhauled the entire system. It got better. It got noticeably better. Grimes is gone now, but A-Rod rolls up, became an outstanding coordinator in his own right. He was ready for it. So BYU hasn't missed much of a beat. I still think fans don't give Grimes the credit he deserves. I, I still believe that, but but whatever. A-Rod's a fantastic coordinator. He's been able to maintain and continue a lot of what Grimes established. I look for similar things happening with, with, uh, with Jay Hill being in charge of the defense. So this was a huge, huge thing for Kalani. It was a progression as a head coach. You have to learn. Uh, Kalani will admit it, admit it faster than anyone. Uh, he's learning on the job. He's learning how to be an effective head coach. He's made outstanding moves. He made outstanding moves with the offense. And I believe he made very tough and very necessary adjustments on the defense. It's going to pay dividends. It's not going to be as rosy as I think a lot of fans were hoping it would be that for this first year. But I think you're going to see improvements. But I think overall this is going to have, have a similar impact that Grimes had with the BYU offense. That, that's where I'm at. Jay Hill's very capable. The staff's very capable. Kalani's input's still there with the defense. I, it, it's going to provide a lot of good dividends, and recruiting's going to get a lot better. That's what's going to see the biggest uh, uptick in my mind. There is a difference in philosophy as far as recruiting is concerned. There's no doubt. Jay Hill is a recruiter. Jay Hill is a, a, he likes to sell and he likes to find those uh, those players that are going to be most impactful within his scheme. Um, he wants great football players. I think he wants length and athleticism and potential, there's no doubt, but he also wants proven football players. I don't think he's going to take as many risks on projects, even though some of those projects have paid off. Some of your best recruits, some of your best football players have been those projects and even PWOs over the last five years. Look at the guys that are in the NFL right now. To Just, just to kind of illustrate that the prior staff did hit on a lot of these guys. Right, like, I mean, just go down the list 
of Cougars and the Pros, and and you know Tyler Algier, Project PWO, Brady Christensen was even though he was a, a little bit of a crossover of the era, he's a two star, no competing offers, Project PWO type. You know he got a scholarship, but he was not a highly recruited player. He was a Plan B. He was a Plan B. It was it was at the last second. D'Angelo Mandel, Project, no offers. San Diego, maybe I can't remember. Um, so even I mean guys like Michael Davis, you go back a little bit farther. Project player, um, Kyrus Tonga, project player, no competing offers. Not he he wasn't highly recruited. Chris Wilcox, Dax Milne. You hit on some of these. I'm not saying that that is the the M, that that should be the mo, but they had they have hit on them, and so that. That development, that recruitment, that project player mindset, that PWO mindset has gotten you some some good talent, and you've developed it well. Yeah, you said it very well just closing out your comments is that became the M.O., and I believe it absolutely became the M.O. for the defense. I I think there's a level of arrogance from Coach Lamb. I do that. Mm -hmm. Listen, I don't need to go head-to-head. I can develop guys. I can find them, and it doesn't matter whatever and what that sacrificed more than anything is the state of utah and i've I've talked about this before on the program i hear from from high school coaches up and down the valley of just how upset they were that byu would not recruit their players they they wouldn't do it high school coaches are always upset i know that utah utah state they weren't they weren't mad at utah they were not mad at utah they were not mad at you they were mad at byu criddle i'm telling you yeah the effort was not there. Yeah, there wasn't a. There wasn't. You've got to get the prime guys in this state. Like what happened last year, where you're losing Smith Snowden, uh, the guy from American Four, guy Hunter Clegg. Mm-hmm. That can't happen. It can't happen if you're going to compete with the Big Twelve, which means you're going to be competing directly with Utah. You have to win those battles. You absolutely have to start winning those. And I think this staff's going to put in the time. It's going to come with results on the field. And that's why this season is so important in my mind. And why BYU has to show competitive in every game. BYU has to show it can hang with the best of the Big 12, where it can go toe-to-toe. Yeah, we belong. Even more so than becoming bowl eligible in my mind. That's what needs to happen. It's going to pay dividends because I know the staff's going to put forth the effort. I know know they're just not going to give up. And, and if the product validates the efforts, if that makes sense, on the field, that they're coming to a program that can prepare for the NFL, it, it's going to start paying dividends. It will. But, man, Utah has a really good thing going right now. Yeah. Utah has a lot of credibility putting guys in the NFL. They have a very good football program, and, and they recruit very well. Yes, they It's do. hard to overcome. It, it's going to be tough. There's going to be some big, big, big recruiting battles in the near future. Couple last things from Jay Hill, defense coordinator on the coordinators corner. When you looked at where BYU's defense had been and where you would like to be, where do you hope to see the most improvement in year one as defensive coordinator? Well, I want to be a little bit more gap sound than they were last year. The exp- you know, the, the, just the scheme philosophy last year is they did a lot of the linebackers would fit off of what the D line was doing, and I want to be a little bit more gap sound at times where they can be way more aggressive down in their own gaps, knowing that when you watch film, I want to know this happened and it was this guy's mistake or he did a really good job. I don't want vagueness in what we're doing. And so you'll see those guys much more assignment sound. You'll see them much more definitive in what they're doing based on what they're seeing. Hey, Hill, G-Man, listening to him, what were your thoughts? Well, I, had, I gave critical props while we were listening to the interview, but I have to, because last year, what did we hear, hear about the team? Oh, it's the defensive line. The defensive line can't do anything and all that. The line, who was filling the gaps needed to get more of the blame than I think a lot of the fans were, were assigning. And, and, and that's what I heard when Jay Hill was saying that. The gaps are there. you you got to go downhill. you got to get it. You got to get in those gaps. You have to play in those gaps. I that was your mantra all last year, Criddle. I, I remember you fighting with fans after basically every single game about what's ailing the defense. Jay Hill just validated what you were saying. Uh, th- that has to get better, and and I and that kind of excites me at the same time because you what what did we just talk about last segment? 
The linebackers are the strength of this defense. Yeah. That's your strength right there. They're going to be good. Max Tooley, stay healthy. Von Pichon is going to be a big, big upgrade. He's going to be what we believe Keenan Peely should have been last year. Keenan Peely, all due respect, he was hurt. He was coming off injury. He wasn't able to perform at 100%. Von Pichon is going to be that guy. I'm very, very high on him. But, yeah, filling those gaps, being more aggressive, that's going to be the biggest difference and the biggest uptick fancy and defense productivity. Yeah. I think this could end up looking more like a – a Bronco Mendenhall 3-4 than maybe even the fans wanted to. You're going to see Isaiah Banya and Michael Daly up on the line of scrimmage. Sometimes they may be in a two-point. Sometimes they're in a three-point coming off that edge. Sometimes they may be a part of the front. Sometimes they may be dropping into coverage and uh, running on wheel routes, etc. cetera, uh, you know, flat-to-wheel player, sometimes hook-to-curl player, um, sometimes a spy player rolling into kind of the heart of the defense and spying a quarterback or spying an individual player in, in coverage. So um, we'll see what happens. He's, the, the, Jay, Jay's a versatile defensive mind, and so is Kelly Papinga. Yes, they want to be aggressive. Yes, they want to bring pressure, uh, but not at the uh, not, not, not exposing any weaknesses on the backside. They do want to be confident in their back end. And uh, and I, I don't know if Cougar Nation is – I think Cougar Nation is confident in the corners. I don't know how confident they are right now in the safeties uh, as far as man coverage is concerned. I think it's validated. I think it's okay to have question marks around, uh, around the safety room right now as it pertains specifically, specifically to man coverage. It's hard to cover in space. Being a slot corner and or strong safety or free safety rolled up um, – you try to match up with tight ends that are flexed. You try to match up with tight ends that are in line. You try to match up sometimes with running backs rather than putting, if you're in 11, if the offense is in 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, or even 10 personnel, one back, zero tight ends, and they have four wide. Like, you want to be able to match up appropriately with the personnel to be able to cover them. And so, uh, and, and, and guys like Malik, Malik's a very linear guy, super fast, can cover sideline to sideline. Is he uh, an elite man-to-man coverage guy? I think he's good, you know. And but if you're if you're in man a lot, it just exposes you to more, right? That's just you're taking some risk. So you better be sound in your technique. I'd rather give up things on things underneath at times rather than giving up that chunk yardage play. So you got to be calculated, and uh, we'll see how Jay Hill implements those pressures can i just get props to jay hill for being very blunt and specific in his comments that's rare for, for from a coach and i love that and i hope it continues jay hill's fantastic that was a fantastic quote lot lots of insight there he's a proven coach at a high level and at the fcs level and he, he he's coming in this with high energy too uh there's not any like one of the things that you know i hate comfort and complacency in life, and I don't get any sense of comfort and complacency from from Jay Hill ever. That's not how he rolls. That's not how he operates. That's not how his mind is. I was talking to a, a, a coworker of mine, a uh, a partner, business partner, and we were talking about like hyperactive children, hyperactive young men in particular, right? That just go 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 go. They're diagnosed with ADD, ADHD all the time these days because they just want to get up and go. They can't stay in a classroom, can't sit still. I was one of those kids. He was one of those kids. Most of the people that I know that weren't like medicated through that, and they're, they're all hyper. They're very successful, like because they just can't sit still. They got to go do, 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 get stuff done. Always, always moving. Always with that proactive mindset. Jay Hill's that guy. Always moving. Always going. Always solving problems. Always talking. Always just just trying to expand on his skill set, and so he does not bury his talents. Is what I get at. Is what I'm getting at. A couple last things. This may not be the the fairest question. Greg Rebell points out, but how simple a defense is uh, to uh, is your oh, sorry. This may not be a fair the fairest question, but how simple a defense is yours to run for new players for the first time.
Yeah, very complicated, especially for certain position groups. The linebackers have a lot to learn. The safeties have a lot to learn. Uh, there's not a lot of teaching necessarily or learning for the D-line, some of the D-line spots in the corners, uh, but they also have very hard jobs to do. And so we try to keep it a little more simple for them just because their jobs are tough. Um, but yeah, it's hard for young guys to come in and play in this defense because there's a ton of learning. There's a ton of adjustments. It's a complicated defense. You're trying to accelerate the the kind of the absorption of, of a ton of information right now. And you wonder, look, BYU's got some smart kids. There's no doubt. High-level kids. But um, how quickly can they assimilate this information? How quickly can they execute this complicated defense? It makes me recall... The and I'm not saying this is what it's going to be, but I remember when uh, in 2014 where we overcomplicated the defense a little bit. We just had too many calls, too many checks, too much, and we got just obliterated. We had plenty of talent that 2014 team, and people will say, "Well, yeah, because Bronco Mendenhall wasn't the the defensive coordinator." Yeah, I understand that. Nickal was, but he overcomplicated it. Nickal's a smart dude. He's the Vanderbilt defense coordinator. He's in the SEC. Like, there's a reason why he's in that position. Whether I mean he yes he did give up a lot of points versus <laughs> versus BYU <Everybody. laughs> well versus versus you know BYU last year was tough but what most people will actually tell you within the college football world is that Bronco forced Nick and I think Kelly to implement a three three five to go back to Broncos roots. That three three five led to a lot of detrimental defensive play. So there's a reason why I'm telling you that Nick Howell is uh, at Vanderbilt now. So there's that. But also, like he overcomplicated the defense early on in his career, and he just couldn't execute. So I would, I'd be wary of overcomplicating it. You do have to kind of work things out. So hopefully they can get up to speed. Last thing, 2023 BYU defense. Uh, includes a mixture of returns and transfers, five of which you coached at Weber State. These are FCS guys you thought had Power 5 makeup for their game, clearly. Well, a good example of that, Eddie Heckard, when he went in the portal, he could have gone anywhere in the country. And he's a phenomenal player that made a lot of plays, and his toughness and tenacity correlate at any level. And the reality was he was this close to going to the NFL last year and probably would have been on an NFL roster this year. So he's got that kind of talent. Cam Garrett's one I trust. Um and, you know, the, the New and Logan Latui and those guys, they uh, they were ones that I thought would have been really good players had they stayed at Weber State, and we'll see how those guys continue to develop and progress. But I know they're good enough to help us, um, and how much is all dependent upon them. There you go. That's Jay Hill. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this segment, reading between the lines? Eddie Hecker could well be considered BYU's best secondary player even before Mike Harper got hurt, but right now he's absolutely the guy. Team captain, understands the system. He, he could play any position on that defensive backfield. I have no doubt about that. He's going to be big for this team. I, and, and I think when, when you're worried about that secondary that's what I'm resting on is just the abilities of Eddie Hecker. He's looked outstanding in practice sessions. He can lock down guys. He's a leader. Really, talk about a huge gift for BYU. Uh, really, uh, the way he comes across in the interview is just everything. Big things can be expected from Eddie Hecker. Uh, it's a great compliment to Jay Hill that he, he was able to get him to follow him to BYU, and, and yeah, just expect big things from Eddie Hecker this season. We'll go to break. More to get to on a Tuesday afternoon. Don't miss it. We'll discuss the depth chart again. I want to discuss which position group is the strength of this BYU defense. And Center update. Starting in BYU football, it's football week. The first game of the season for the BYU Cougars is this Saturday as the Cougars invite Conference USA opponent Sam Houston State. Tune in to ESPN 960 for the Cougar pregame show hosted by Ben Crito, leading you all the way out to kickoff between the Cougars and the Bearcats on Saturday. To the volleyball court, as the BYU women's volleyball team took home some awards from this weekend, freshman Mia Lee won Rookie of the Year, while preseason all-conference pick Aaron Livingston won Player of the Week for the Cougars. Congrats to Mia and Aaron on the honors. 
This week, the BYU women's volleyball team will be in action as this Wednesday night they'll bring in Loyola Marymount. Game time will be at 7 p.m. This will kick off a stretch of volleyball home games for the team as they'll have another game on Saturday at home versus UC Davis. That game time is at 5 p.m. To the basketball court where the BYU women's basketball team wrapped up their overseas summer series where the Cougars went 3-0 against three teams, one all-star team from Rome, an under-22 Iceland team, and a team from Lafayette. The team now comes home and prepares for their first season of the Big 12 Conference. Their first official game won't be until November 13th. Finally, the BYU women's soccer team will be in action this week as they'll have one road and one home game this week. First, the home game will be against UCLA on Thursday night at 7 p.m. Then on Saturday, the Cougars will travel to Orem to take on Utah Valley at 2 p.m. This update has been brought to you by Twisted Cow, home of the over-the-top shakes. Visit thetwistedcow.com. I'm Martin Kelly, and this has been your ESPN 960 Cougar Sports Center update. Five FM, and it's time for the Cougar Beat. Getting the dish from the local reporters that cover BYU sports here on your Cougar Sports Insider Radio Network. Welcome back, Cougar Sports, ESPN 960. This is Cougar Country. I'm Ben Criddle broadcasting live from our Les Schwab Tire Studios, leschwab.com. If you're looking for deals on rims and tires, I'd invite you to check out our good friends at Les Schwab, leschwab.com, $250 off right now when you buy a set of four select tires with financing. It is time for a Cougar Beat. Going to break down all the news and notes of the day from the Cougar Sports Insiders that cover the teams every <clears throat> every single day. Going to be brought to you by our good friends at Dental Pros of Utah, dentalprosofutah.com. If you've been told you need a filling, a crown, a root canal, get a second opinion at Dental Pros of Utah. In American Fork, they utilize the best biomimetic techniques. These are minimally invasive techniques to rebuild your teeth layer by layer so you don't have to settle for fake teeth later on in life. Choose Dental Pros. If you don't believe me, check out their Google reviews and verify for yourself. Let's get out to the hotline, the ESPN 960 hotline. Welcome in Cougar Sports Insider representing KSL.com, the man, the myth, the legend, Sean Walker, S-Dub, how the heck are you, bro? Thanks for joining us. The Mongoose, the G-Man, I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing awesome, man. Appreciate you hopping on. Uh, real quick, uh, before we get into some Olympic sports and talk some volleyball and soccer, want to get some updates uh, and get your perspective on this BYU football team. The depth chart conversation is uh, amongst uh, all of Cougar Nation right now around the water cooler at work, etc. Any takeaways from the depth chart discussion that we've been having over the last 24 hours? Yeah, I think overall my biggest takeaway can just be defined, Ben, in one word, and that's freshmen. Uh, I was maybe not necessarily surprised. I thought a couple of the, the freshmen and the redshirt freshmen, some of the first-year players, could make an impact on this roster. But just how many of them appeared on that two deep, or I guess maybe we need to call it a three deep in most positions of just players who are in their first full season of college football that are likely to contribute to this team. Uh, it caught me a little off guard just seeing the overall numbers. You know, guys like LJ Martin at running back, Harrison Taggart, the Oregon transfer with scarce experience, um, making the dead chart at middle linebacker. There were a couple of linemen in there, Peter Falamico as, as the sort of backup center, I guess, while there's a little bit of a competition between uh, Paul Miley and and uh, Connor Pay there, but uh, but just some of those players, I, I think, just their readiness and their availability to be ready for Division One college football uh, was a surprise, but probably a nice surprise, I would imagine, for the coaching staff. Yeah, I thought uh, there was a lot of young talent on that depth chart, no doubt about it. Uh, there's plenty of of, uh, I think, experience on both sides of the ball. What would you say, which position group is the strength of the offense and which position group is the strength of the defense, and why? Um, Boy, it's hard to pick just one group on offense, right? I mean, we've got Aaron Roderick on the record, who he's a man of, of pretty scarce uh, praise sometimes in the preseason. He doesn't like to necessarily build up his guys too much before they've done anything. But he's on the record said this group is, as, as a whole, this offense is better than last year. It's deeper than last year. I think that's certainly the case when you look at wide receiver. You look at, at just the immediate impact of guys like Keelan Marion and Darius Lassiter in particular. Um, maybe not necessarily raising like the top-end talent of the wide receiver room because it's hard to replace a guy like Puka Nakua. That's really, really hard to do. I don't know if the Cougars have done that, 
but just the overall depth of that experience where you're able to rotate two, three, sometimes even four deep at wide receiver, uh, I think has been really, really nice to see. Uh, but I got to get my nod to the running back room. I mean, this is a running back room that is so strong at so many different positions. You've got the thousand yard rusher in Aiden, Aiden Robbins, which uh, is, is probably the, the kind of the headliner. That's the biggest deal, right? Um, but then right behind him, you've got an experienced veteran in Colorado's leading rusher last year in Dion Smith. You've got Hinkley Ropati in there. You've got LJ Martin that we, we talked about, the 6,000-yard rusher out of El Paso, um, who, who's going to be not just a, a player and a significant offensive player for this, for this team, but you've got Roderick saying he's going to get significant minutes, uh, that he's going he's gonna to have significant playing time uh, on this roster. So overall, I mean, I, I like just about every position on the offense, um, you know, I, I like the offensive line, I like the wide receiver room, I like the quarterback room, everything, but I think it's that running back room where this, this BYU team could be the most dangerous. We got Sean Walker on the line, Cougar Sports, ESPN 960, discussing all things in Cougar country. Uh, let's pivot. Let's talk about this. Actually, one, one last football question for you. We asked in a poll whether or not BYU is going to run more man or more zone this season. Coming in, Jay Hill seemed to be heck-bent, on running a, I know G Man just cringes whenever I say heck bent. Heck bent on on bringing and pressure say it again. Stop and it. getting after quarterbacks and maybe run a lot of man. I don't know if that's what they're going to be doing this year, depending on the the opponent, obviously. But uh, what do you think? More man or more zone this year from this uh, BYU defense, considering some of the attrition that we've experienced over the last few weeks. Well, Criddle, I can't let you get away with using a phrase like heck bent. Is that just a re- is that a really bad dad joke? Is that a reference to hey. newly signed cornerback? We had, a, we had a T-shirt that we created on uh, from Royal Army brand. It said, give him heck. Give him heck. I don't know if it really yeah, sold yeah. all that well. Yeah, give him, the give operative word being we uh, had a T-shirt. Him, him <laughs> we had it. I don't think we have it anymore. So, yeah. yeah. yeah give but, him heck, Brigham. I mean... I mean, if somebody hasn't started a blog called that, then maybe we should. Like, well, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we 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 created that back in 2019. Give them heck. Uh, we can't put hell on there. BYU will not allow a a insignia, a logo of a Y or a beat digger or any other any other their any of their um, their licenses, right? Their uh, their their logos. With hell associated with it, not going to happen. So. Hell, hell is too strong of a word, but we can say it's it over the airways, right? We're not getting dinged by the FCC. Yeah, right we can now. say those. Word, we right? can say those words on okay, the FCC. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we're allowed to say that to see why you doesn't want to be associated with. So, so we'll go. With, we'll go with heck. And I and I, I bring up heck a little bit too because I I think with the uh, the the fall camp attrition and the injuries in the safety room in particular to to uh, Talon Alfred most recently, Michael Harper, obviously, we've discussed on this show. I think Eddie Heckert's actually going to be a really key player in that defensive backfield. And so my answer to your man versus zone conversation, Ben, is I think this BYU team probably plays whatever defense Eddie Heckert is most comfortable with. Um, I think you got to utilize him in a variety of ways. The, you know, there were some rumors about out there about maybe moving him from cornerback to safety. I don't know. That's totally, you know, the option. He's listed as the number one cornerback. He's probably going to play mostly corner. Uh, but I think he's kind of the central figure in this defense, whether it's man, whether it's zone. Um, and, and so maybe because of that, I would probably tend toward the man defense for, for that exact reason. But I think you're going to see a lot of varieties in that secondary right now while they try to get healthy, uh, particularly in the case of Talon Alfred. Did I, did I not explain explain that, that question enough? You did. You broke it down. Very astutely, and I appreciate that. Let's transition. Olympic sports. What do you make of this uh, BYU? Yeah, let's do. Uh, Let's. What do you make of this BYU women's soccer team right now and how they're competing? Oh, killing it, killing it, man! Uh, This is a really good team. This is a top ten team nationally right now. Uh, They started out the year in the top twenty-five. They're now in the top ten. This is, you know, they're the preseason pick to win the Big Twelve for a reason. A very good Big 12 conference, but BYU is right at the very top. We're going to learn a lot about this team this week, Ben. Uh, we're going to learn a lot. They played a, a tough enough schedule to this point. Like, I don't want to make light of, of what they 
of the opponents that they've had yet. They obviously open on the road with a, a very good St. Louis team that was ranked in the top 25 at the time, um, handled them in there. They've, they've handled a couple of the Cal State teams, Long Beach and Fullerton, went on the road, got their first road win at Boise State, showed some really nice kind of comeback grit, if you will, to pick up a, a road win. Not always easy to win on the road, right? Um, but we're really going to learn a lot about this BYU team this week. You can, Thursday night, number one UCLA um, at Southfield. It's the first time BYU has hosted the number one team in the country since, I think, 2018 or 16, 16, 18. Um, I'm trying to pull up the game notes right now, but my, my internet is not being very good. Suffice it to say, it's been a few years. It's been a few years since BYU has hosted the number one team in the country. Uh, this will be obviously a challenge. And then to flip it around Saturday night, going on the road just five minutes up University Parkway to another very good Utah Valley team, a team that uh, has its eyes on a top 25 ranking, might get there. I mean, this team this team is legit. They're the preseason pick to win the WAC for a reason. Uh, they've got incredible goal-scoring options in, in Heather Steinberg and then Faith Weather, Weber and some others. So what BYU women's soccer does in this week, I think is a little bit of a precursor to what their ceiling really is on this season, what they can do first against UCLA and then going on the road to, to a very, very good Utah Valley team. I think that will give us kind of a glimpse of, of where this team will be, not just when they hit conference play. Obviously, everybody's excited about Big 12 teams coming into Provo and that kind of thing and, and what this team can do in terms of the conference championship. But how much of a contender can they be on a national stage when it gets to the NCAA tournament time? I think we'll answer a lot of those questions with how they do Thursday and then Saturday. Sean Walker, KSL.com, here on ESPN 960, discussing all things out there in Cougar Country and a Cougar Beat. Uh, Sean, let's talk BYU Women's Volleyball, also taking the Cougar Nation by storm with a high-level play. Give me a synopsis of how they've competed through the first few weeks of uh, of the season. Yeah, three wins on the road up in Montana. You can't really ask for anything more than that. And nonetheless, one of those wins coming against a team in Pitt that was ranked number five in the preseason. BYU goes in and beats them 3-1. to one. That jumps them up to number nine in the latest ABCA coaches ranking and this is a BYU team that always had kind of top 20 potential coaches ranked them number 17 in the preseason that was a statement win for a lot of reasons BYU and Pitt are developing I like to call it a little bit of a pseudo rivalry you know I like that word pseudo rivalry then because it's not very long it's only about five or six years old this overall series but they played now three times in the last two years uh, I think it's four times in the last three years, if I remember correctly. Two two appearances on, on each other's schedule last year, including a loss in the NCAA tournament for BYU. Cougars turn around in the first match of the season, and they knock off the Panthers to really set themselves up with a signature, signature win right out of the gate. Something that could, it's the, I mean, this is the type of win. BYU beating Pitt is the type of win that could not just build an NCAA tournament resume to get into the dance, but a hosting type of resume and one that could propel a team. Obviously, we're we're really long ways between now and then, so I don't want to talk too much about RPI and NCAA tournament and, and, and that kind of thing. But it's the kind of win that turns a team from a, a tournament team into a hosting team, into a team that can actually go far and advance in the tournament. It's that signature victory that everybody's looking for. So this team, I mean, Heather Holmes has team. It's, it's always legit, but it is as good as ever, led by the likes of Aaron Livingston, Winnie Bowers, uh, fifth-year setter, massive, massive, massive. They got a couple transfer um, uh, deep setters, one from Arizona, who I'm not going to try to say her last name because she's Hawaiian, and I don't want to butcher it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so um, everything always starts with passing right. And then a couple of just really high-velocity freshmen in Claire Little and Mia Lee, um, the Mountain View product, really stepping into uh, Coach Olmstead's system really, really well. Like this, this team has a really, really high ceiling, and I think we, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of it right now. 
Yeah, you touched on this, how, how you conclude the last answer, but, but but when you're talking about the strength of the team, who are the real standouts, and how good is Erin Livingston? I'm, I'm looking at the stats, and she seems to be the, the go-to option on the outside to put down kills. How does she compare to maybe some of the the, the best B-Ways had, maybe a Ronnie Jones-Perry uh, or, 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 or some of the other great ones? Oh, she's Erin Livingston's right up there, Dima. I mean, she she is among the best that BYU's had, and right now BYU kind of needs her to be the best. Uh, she's she's a senior, she's experienced, she knows what she's doing. She's uh, she was the Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Week just this week, and when you have a player who knows what they're doing, who you can just kind of throw the ball up and they can make something happen, like that's that's invaluable. So this is. I, I don't know exactly where I'm going to cop out a little bit right here, but, but I don't know exactly where, like numerically, Aaron Livingston ranks among BYU's like all-time best hitters, or I'll even say, you know, recent best hit- hitters, maybe in the Heather Olmstead era. But she is right up there in a long line of successive outside hitters uh, with with the best. I mean, she's a returning ABCA All-America. She was an honorable mention last year. She told me just about a week or so ago. Uh, before they headed off to Man- Montana, that she wants to get "quote unquote" real All-American status. No more of this honorable mention stuff. First team, second team, um, that kind of thing. She's she's one of the best hitters in the Western United States. She was, I think, she had two or three All WCC first team picks when the Cougars were in that conference. Preseason All Big Twelve pick. I expect her to be an All Big Twelve first teamer when all is said and done at the the end of this year. Um, there's so much talent in the Big Twelve this year. And Aaron's right at the very top of that. Again, best in the Heather Olmstead era, I don't know, but probably top three, four, five. She's just the way the way that this program continues to produce world class hitters, I think is pretty remarkable. And and Aaron Livingston is right right up there with the best of them right now. Um, but not too far behind her is going to be Claire Little. So you know she's only a freshman and she comes in and lays down what was I think nineteen kills. In her uh, in her Division One collegiate opener, like like the the transition looks really good right there, right um, at those pins, and I think so much of it starts with Winnie Bauer, the setter, um, the fifth year senior, the uh, the former seventeen year old who reclassified a year early so that she can get to to BYU and play with with eventually not just one but two of her sisters, Cougar legacy product. Her mom played volleyball. Uh, at BYU, her dad was a, a guard on the basketball team at the same time. So uh, there are a lot of names that we can mention. I didn't even mention Mia Lee. Did I mention Mia Lee? The Mountain View no. product. She just won Big Twelve Rookie of the Year or Rookie of the Year, Rookie of the Week uh, this week. So uh, that's pretty decent as well. Like this team is once again it's stacked, it's loaded, um, and it's got a really really high ceiling. I think. Uh, it, it seems to me that that the soccer team and the women's volleyball team. It's hard for me to differentiate which programs had the best success in recent years. They both made deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Uh, both of them have made championship uh, games. If you're going to buy stock in, in which team is going to have the best success in the postseason, who, who are you riding with, the soccer team or the women's volleyball team? I'm going to put you on the spot. Put me on the spot a little bit, G-Man. Yeah, yeah, put me on the spot a little for sure. If you want to just go with short term, it's got to be women's soccer. Uh, this team returned every starter from last year. Last year's team, by the way, that made it to the round of 16 in the NCAA tournament. So it's not like they were, you know, it's not like they were a mediocre team. They were pretty good already. They brought everybody back. They're loaded with seniors. I think they've got nine seniors on the team. They've got uh, a couple of future pros led by midfielder Jamie Shepard, obviously, but, but a handful of others. Um, who I've talked with NWSL coaches and assistants and general managers that are they're keeping their eye on several of these players. Um, there are there are pros on this team. There are great players on this team. For the short short term this year, this women's soccer team could be something special if everything really does click right. They're scoring goals at an unconscionable rate. Um, Olivia Katoa is getting much more involved in the attack. She probably deserves a little special uh, shout-out through the first two weeks of the season. But they've got just so many weapons, whether it's, it's Katoa, uh, Shepard, um, Aaron Bailey coming off of the bench, Ali Fryer, their leading, one of their leading scorers from last year, Brecken Mazingo. They've just got so many different options uh, 
to to score goals that I think they their their ceiling is really high for that reason. It could really take them on on a good run and and into uh, a pretty special season. They're a little bit leaky in the back right now. They've only got one shutout on the year. They're they're allowing about a goal or a goal and a half uh, through their first uh, per game through their first four matches. So that's a little bit of a concern. That's something that I'm sure uh, Coach Rockwood has noticed that she's going to try to get cleaned up. They play a very gre- aggressive line led by Izzy Stratton and Levani um, uh, Vaca. And then so that probably plays into into sort of um, kind of some of that leakage or, or just allowing some scoring there. It hasn't come back to bit them, to, to bite them too much, if you will. Uh, it almost did against St. Louis, but for the most part, kind of the goals are allowed or just world class goals. You can't really, you, you can't really blame too much of them on Savannah Mace and the goalkeeper in the back, right? But that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Their their defense is getting a little bit leaky. It's early in the season. There's still time to fix that and to clean it up. Um, but they're also showing an ability to simply outscore opponents, which, at the very least, makes for some pretty exciting soccer, right? I know how much you love exciting soccer, Gurney. Oh, yeah. I love soccer. Love it. Gurney and Sean love soccer more than I do. I don't know about that. Well, Gurney, one of Gurney's us the do. biggest soccer fan on this, one on of this us. call, I've yeah. been told. Yes, indeed. Well, Sean, yeah, Gurney, uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you down at uh, football media availability later tonight, but appreciate you hopping on for a Cougar beat. Any other final thoughts before we uh, let you go? Anything that you are uh, you can tease us with that you're going to be writing about or you're going to be reporting on anytime soon? Uh, just keep in mind right now on uh, it's NFL Cutdown Day. So uh, the cuts are trickling in literally as we speak, so we won't get into anyone in particular, uh, anybody too crazy, but I'll have a full roundup later today and and uh, just working on that a little bit. It's, it's always a fun time of year because, you got the NFL that's getting going right then, and then you've got college football starting, coming off of of a really fun week zero and into an even better week one. The start of the college football season is always my favorite time of year. Uh, and then when you mix in really strong Olympic sports around Provo, it's, it's even better. I love it. Sean Walker, KSL.com. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for hopping on today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. There you go. That's a Cougar Beat brought to you by Dental Pros of Utah, dentalprosofutah.com. If you've been told you need a filling, a crown, a root canal, I'm just asking you to get a second opinion. That's it. Just a second opinion. Why? Because you can save your teeth in the long run. Why? Because you can save your money in the long run. Uh, choose Biomimetics. Dental Pros of Utah can provide the uh, the biomimetic techniques that you're looking for. DentalProsOfUtah.com. Check out their Google reviews if you do not believe me. Brandon Security by my side. We'll go to break. Don't don't uh, go anywhere, though. Still a ton to get to on a Tuesday afternoon. We have the Director of Marketing at Utah Valley